Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. When, when I was really young, I, I received a set of books uh, from, from a family member that were biographies and classic Christian, uh, biographies of Christian characters throughout history of classic Christian stories, Pilgrim's Progress, making it in there, uh, a biography like David Livingston's, and don't, don't worry, I was, I was pretty young, so it was a very condensed version of it. But one of the specific biographies that was part of it belonged to Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, if you didn't know, was a Dutch watchmaker who is most well known for the sheltering of Jews during uh, the Nazi occupation in World War II. Incredibly costly, dangerous, and without question, Christ-like in what she did. She would go on to write books and speak a lot about this period of time in which she was doing this. And this is what she had to say about it. She said this. She said, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. This is the heart of our series that we're in. To discover all that the Spirit is and has to offer and live out the kingdom invitation we see in Jesus, to live out that new life. And wherever you find yourself on that journey of faith, we say it every week, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, new life is offered to you. And the hope is that it is not just a, a nice concept that sits high above anything that we actually do, but it is something that is dwelling within us and therefore flows out of us. That we would be like an individual like Corey Ten Boom, willing to sacrifice much because of the conviction of her heart of the injustice taking place around her, and regardless of what it might cost her, she said, I am going to live a life that is like Christ. And this is hard. This is beyond my own facilities. And in fact, I need the Holy Spirit to do this. Last week, uh, you got to hear from, from Pastor Ryan, and, and I know it was a great Sunday that you got to share together. He talked about a couple different things. He talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the gift? The Holy Spirit is the gift. Who is the gift for? It's for, for everyone. And who is the gift from? It's from the Father. Jesus has received the promise from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and then Jesus has poured out on us what we now experience and are able to access and receive today, the Holy Spirit. 
We don't receive it because of fear. And I know a, a lot of us can engage with the idea of the Holy Spirit with a sense of fear or uncertainty. But we're supposed to experience it with a sense of joy because it's a good gift from a good God that we are given to live the life that he offers to us each and every day. He's given something to each of us to empower us, to empower our lives to be more than what we are currently experiencing. And then he made the invitation of will we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? The come Holy Spirit, would you fill your people? And this is the prayer that we continue to pray. When, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, there is a wide spectrum of experience and engagement. For some of you this morning, it's a, it's a brand new thing that you haven't really engaged with. Or you hear Holy Spirit or you think Holy Ghost. And it's an idea that is more culturally appropriated than spiritually founded. It, it, there is perhaps an idea of the Spirit that is too hyper-engaged. It, it, it's beyond anything that's actually in the Bible. It's more experiential than anything else. And it, then for others, we have the idea that the Spirit is not actually something that exists in our world today, and we ignore it completely. All of these different perspectives are, are found within this space. And I hope that as we enter in this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, looking at the end of the chapter in particular. Uh, my, my hope is, is that the Holy Spirit would not just be a nice idea or the force out of Star Wars. It would just it would be actually an experience an experience that we share today where we discover the person of the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit is for, and what the Spirit actually wants to do. Last week, uh, this, well, this past week, uh, I had the privilege of being with a group of pastors, and we were spending time listening and learning and praying, and, and we were able to spend some time with um, John Mark Comer, and some of you will have read his, his books. He's a pastor. He's an author. And we were talking about the idea of how do we engage with this idea of discipleship within our local churches and being discipled in the word and, and being formed through spiritual practices, but also having an, an engagement with the spirit and the gift that is freely given to us. John Mark, he, he talks about the idea of formation and practices at length throughout all of his teachings. He is deeply passionate about this. But him along with Dallas Willard, who is of the same line of thinking, but just maybe a, uh, 20 years prior, they, they both hold the idea of spiritual practices as a high priority, but yet they have the same concern that often when we engage in a hyper-practice formation mindset absent of the spirit, we become pharisaical in our tendencies. What does that mean? We become of rules and regulations. We become more focused on the practice itself than the purpose of the practice that is set before us. Don't get me wrong. Prayer, Sabbath, silence and solitude, all of those things and many more are important practices within the Christian discipline. But when we lose sight of how those practices are actually designed to bring us into union with Jesus, and we fall into this co-opted narrative and definition of our culture of it simply makes our life better, we have lost the track. We have become reliant upon ourselves all over again. But the invitation of the Spirit 
feels so far beyond what we are comfortable with in our day and age. Often, we engage with the idea of the Spirit up until the point that I'm comfortable of relinquishing control. I fall into this category. Practices feel far more accessible and attainable and achievable because I'm doing them. But engagement with the Spirit is surrender and relinquishment of control. Therefore, I don't really want to throw myself into it. But you notice that when Jesus ascends, he does not say the gift that I gave to you was silence and solitude. He said that the gift that I gave to you was his, my Spirit. If the gift that God gives is the Holy Spirit and our focus is purely upon practices and formation, we have missed the gift that makes the practice come alive. There's something that the Spirit actually is meant to do. So what we're dealing with today is we're going to ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? going to read out of Acts chapter 2 verses 37 to 47. You can follow along on the screen and says this. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter had just preached his sermon. He had spoken uh, at length using Old Testament references and they had heard the truth. And it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There was about 120 people in that upper room. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What does the Holy Spirit do? We see at the beginning of this chapter how the Holy Spirit comes upon this group found in the upper room of 120 people, followers of Jesus who had gathered and waiting as Jesus had prompted them. And it's, it's at this moment in the year where Pentecost is about to take place. They stay in this upper room for about 10 days and Pentecost, the festival that was taking place in the city of Jerusalem, is about to take place and what has happened is there is a convergence of people from the region. This isn't just people who are local to the city of Jerusalem, but it's people from all around who have migrated on this pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate in this festival. And they've gathered in this upper room for 10 days and then it happened and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and Peter goes out and he delivers these incredible words which was talked about last week and in verse 37 he's interrupted by those who were listening. The Spirit 
actually provoked an interruption in those who encountered him. And it is their interruption that leads Peter to his exhortation of conversion. What does the Holy Spirit do? The first thing that I want to note that the Holy Spirit does is it convicts and it compels action. The Holy Spirit compels action. Recently, I I had a, a dream in the middle of the night that my phone that has all of the photos that belong to me of my daughter suddenly fell into a pond or something and I lost all those photos. It was a nightmare. I woke up in a sweat. I was very much, as I like to say, convicted that I got to do something about it. Because if you were to go through my phone, it would say, you have not backed up your phone in 862 days. So there was a lot of photos that were not dealt with or backed up. And, and all I, just, I woke up that morning and I told Adriana, I was like, I, I have to get this done. And she could not understand why I was so convicted about it at that moment until I told her I had this dream, I thought about it, and I got to do something about it. So I backed up the phone, I made sure it was not on one source, not on two sources, but on three sources so that those pictures of my baby girl last forever and for all people to see. Um, Conviction, when you experience it genuinely, isn't meant to provoke fear, but it does compel action. The Holy Spirit, when we encounter it, it becomes something that is real within us that compels us to a place of action. You have to realize that all of those who were listening to the sermon from Peter on that Pentecost were coming in with a very set and convicted religious mindset around the festival itself. This wasn't a group of seekers and people curious about faith. These are people of Jewish descent that held something very tightly already. But yet in that moment, the word spoken by Peter was one of great conviction. And it was the spirit that fell upon him because we sometimes forget this when it comes to disciples. Peter is not known as this great orator up to this point. Peter's not known to be one of eloquent words. In fact, he's got his foot in his mouth half the time of his lifetime with Jesus. But yet, spirit falls upon him. He goes out and he quotes and he directs people to the person of Jesus in this compelling, convicted sermon. So much so that even before he's done the sermon, they interrupt him and they say, Hey, 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 that's a lot of great stuff. What do we do with that now? The Spirit compels action. It compelled action within Peter. I need to go preach. And the Spirit that was present within the words that Peter was communicating and within the space that people were listening compelled them to respond, what do we do? So often in our Western evangelistic mindset, we think to ourselves that we have to do everything that we can to get somebody to to ask a question or to, to to actually get someone to believe in who God is. Perhaps the greatest evangelistic tool in our world today, which we so underutilize, is very simply the Spirit itself. What would it look like if the people that you desired to know who Jesus is came and asked you the question, what does this look like? Because that's what took place here. Peter had spoken this truth They could see something incredible taking place and they've asked this question, what do I do from here? The text uses this expression that they were cut to the hearts. 
And it's also seen in the psalmist in Psalm 109.16. And Peter was preaching God's word. He was preaching out of Joel 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. And he was preaching about who Jesus was. And not only that, according to verse 4, he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he preached. So the word of God was not simply Peter's sword that Pentecost morning, but it was the Spirit's sword. It was the Spirit at work in that moment. And the Spirit chose the piercing work so that 3,000 people were cut to the heart. We have to see the exponential growth that's taking place in this, this moment. 120 in that room, one man's sermon, 3,000 who respond to the call, not just with a, I, I think that's a nice idea, I'll consider and come back to you next week. This was, I, I'm going to respond in baptism because it compelled action within them. Peter presents his ideas and he presents this sermon, not from a place of brashness, but from a place of humility. This is a man who has been humbled time and time again, has experienced the power of the Spirit now. And now he wants all who are listening to share in the gift that he's experienced. If you find yourself in a place today, that if you find that your life lacks conviction, if apathy has overwhelmed you, then you and I, we need a fresh indwelling of the Spirit. Apathy is the most subtle killer of our faith. It has seeped into our better, our, our, all that we do, all of our sensibilities, all of our practices. Part of it is the exhaustion of our go, go, go society that we don't really feel like we have even the physical wherewithal to engage in a meaningful way. But apathy had led us to this place that we don't even engage in any way, let alone a meaningful one. If apathy is something you sense in your own life, conviction is something that we all need, but it comes by the power of the Spirit working within us. It compels action. Peter responds to the interruption with the call to reform their lives. And he notes four different things. He calls them to reform their lives, invites them to baptism, receive forgiveness, and receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice how two of the elements that are presented are calls for personal cooperation. And the other two actually reveal the effects of the revelation of Jesus. Reforming your lives within... Uh, Greek philosophy is actually to, to change your mind as well as change your life. It connects to this idea of one's own consciousness of missing the mark that then leads to real change. And that's the second thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers change. The text notes that baptism is presented as the means of joining the Christian community. It's worth noting that there's no mention of the 120 followers of Jesus being baptized in this sense as an entry piece into their faith. It wasn't a qualification of faith. Rather, what's implied in this moment is that it's forgiveness of sins that is the baptism of faith. And one is enabled to call upon who God is and find salvation. 
The Holy Spirit is the mark of the new phase of salvation history. And it's shared by all of those who make a decision. I'm going to change my path. I'm going to reform my life. And they're baptized. And baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It empowers change. The challenge of forgiveness in our day. I find this so often in my own story and in conversations with people around me. I feel like as if we have lost the need for forgiveness in our lives. We have embraced this, this moral relativism where we've engaged with this idea that everything is permissible as long as I think it is. And if that is our line of thinking, why is forgiveness ever required? Why would I require forgiveness? Perhaps I think I need to give forgiveness because you made me upset. But why would I need to be forgiven? And this moral relativism is, is seeped into our relationships and it's created a breakdown within the relational structures of our families, of our, of our churches, within our, with our workplaces. And it's, it's perpetuated an individualistic culture that we find ourselves in on the daily. But what Peter is saying in this moment, he says, they said, what to do? What do I do? And he says, repent and be baptized and receive the forgiveness of sins that's offered to you. They've recognized I've missed the mark. I need to turn around and go another way. And Peter's saying that if you turn and go to the way of Christ, what you will find along that path is the forgiveness that your heart longs for. Even if our mind does not always see it, our hearts long to be forgiven in the ways that it needs to be healed. So this morning, I, I offer you this biblical hope, not a relativistic one, that these people in verse 37, they were cut to the heart because they saw that God had made Jesus Lord and they had killed him. In other words, they, they had put themselves at odds with God and they were on another way. They did not have connection with that. But they, what they desperately needed and what they found when they turned back, when they were empowered for change by the spirit that was within them, they found that amazing grace was ready to be received. Sometimes our, our hesitation with this idea of forgiveness or repentance can be confused with its purpose. This, this response from Peter is meant to illustrate to us that repentance leads us to the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit being infused into our life. But it's not, it's not a secret password to a closed door. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is receiving gifts that are freely offered to us. I want you to think of it this way, because we have, a, we have a tainted image of who God is in our conversation of repentance. When I was, when I was really young, I got lost in a mall, and I, I remember that you, you like 
panic and you look around and you're trying to find where your, where your mom is. I was with mom at the mall at the time. I imagine that it wasn't a great situation for her either. And so I'm, I'm running around trying to find someone and I remember being lost in this mall and finally an employee found me and put me to the side. They put the call out over the speaker and mom, she came and found me in that moment and I was sitting and playing a game or something like that and I was excited to see my mom in that moment. But I can guarantee you she was way more excited to see me. We have lost who the image of God is often in the conversation of repentance because we think to ourselves, I'm more excited about finding God than God is in finding me. The Bible says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. That it is, it is the generosity of his spirit that pursues us. This was, this was God coming after his people. Not just to stay far above or far away, but to actually dwell within each and every person that simply turned towards him. Repentance is not a closed door that requires a secret password. Repentance is turning around and finding ourselves face to face with the Savior of the universe that deeply desires relationship with you. And sometimes it is hard to turn around. Can we agree on that? It's difficult when we feel like we have got it together. And the part of the gift of the Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? It convicts us and, and it compels action. And maybe that action is turning around, but it also empowers us. It is the Spirit of God within us that actually moves us to turn us in the direction that we need to go. Isn't it incredible that in the midst of a relationship with, the, with God, that the Spirit of God doesn't just give us the idea of change, doesn't just give us the strength to change, doesn't actually even just lead us to the action of change, but empowers our very being to change. The Spirit does the work in all the ways that we fall short. And just as the Spirit was doing the work on that Pentecost with the multitudes that were listening, the Spirit is doing the work in your heart today. Because the spirit remains the same. The offering remains the same. And it's this. that What does the Holy Spirit do? It's the third thing. The Holy Spirit restores relationship. There was an expectation about the spirit for those who were present on that Pentecost Sunday. We all have expectations. And when they're not met or when they're different, we can have really odd responses to it. But for those who are listening... There was an expectation of the Spirit based upon their Jewish upbringing. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Zechariah, they all have really explicit hopes for a new work of the presence and Spirit of God in a new age. They all have this outlined for the people. And what happens in that upper room doesn't perfectly correspond to what anybody would have expected. Because all these believers, all these followers of Jesus were in one room. There was a loud, violent wind and tongues of fire came flying over people's heads. Which sounds pretty scary and pretty confusing. But fire is an important image in the Bible about God's presence. And God appearing in a burning bush to Moses and flames on Mount Sinai on a pillar of fire over the tabernacle. So the flames of Pentecost is the marking 
of this, the flames of Pentecost, was a marking of temple space. There's the marking of this is where God is going to occupy. They expected that the presence of God would fall, but they did not have this concept fully understood for themselves that the temple, the place where God's presence occupies, would actually be his people. No more separation. This is the full restoration of relationship. That the falling of those tongues of fire actually marked that every single person that is dwelt, indwelt by the Spirit of God is the temple that we have always longed for. That you and I hold God's presence within us when we are in relationship with God. That is not separate, but it is within. The claim that's being made within this text is that Jesus' people are where heaven and earth meet. And that is a beautiful invitation. Maybe you don't feel that way, that you are the place where heaven and earth meet today. I know I have plenty of those feelings. But Thanks be to God that his grace is beyond my capability. His grace is beyond my understanding. His grace is beyond my qualification. That his grace actually marks all who follow him, all who place their trust in him as the place where heaven and earth meet. Because that is the restoration that is at place through the power of the Spirit. That's the restoration of relationship that is ongoing, that is present, that is moving. The Garden of Eden has this intimate relationship picture that they would walk together and Jesus has, has said in the pouring out of his spirit, I'm going to take it even farther. Not just walk beside you, but be within you. This is the thread that runs throughout the biblical story. And maybe you need to hear this this morning. The God of the universe from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through the Bible is pursuing his children. He's pursuing you. He's after your attention. He wants to know you and for you to know him. He wants you to experience real action and change and relationship in your life. He wants you to be part of a grander story than you ever thought possible. He is pursuing you and is not pursuit the greatest marker of beautiful relationship. One of the pieces of advice that was said over and over again to Adriana and I from people that we trusted was that if you want a healthy relationship, you need to pursue one another always. Even when you are in relationship with God, He is pursuing you. This is even the idea of being filled again with the presence of God, with the Spirit of God over and over, that we need a fresh filling of the Spirit of God in our lives. We need to experience what it is to be in relationship, to be empowered for change, to do something that is beyond what we can see in our current moment. But you are pursued by God Himself. And not to tell you you've got it wrong, but so that you can hear that you are loved, that you are seen, that you are known, that you are forgiven, and that you are empowered for more than what you are currently experiencing. 
Because what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit transforms the world. The promise, the gift of the Spirit is mentioned in, like I said, Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel. And here's the thing. It's not limited to those in Jerusalem. But it is all for, not who, but it is for all who are not present. It's for all people. In Isaiah 57 verse 19, it says, Peace and peace to those far off. All of these things that the Spirit does produce are distinctive within those who are indwelt by the Spirit. And we see in the following verses of Acts how the, the indwelling of the Spirit in the people leads to the transformation of the world because of the transformed people. We're not going to go through every single verse, but I would invite you this week just to read the end of Acts 2 from, from verses 37 and onwards. And you're going to see how they were a people suddenly transformed. It says they were devoted. Relationship was restored, so they were committed to deepening that intimacy with God through the teaching of the disciples. They entered into community, into prayer, and it says that they saw awe come upon their souls, and awe seems to say that it was beyond anything that they could have ever hoped for. Teaching, community, and prayer, and it created this humility within them because you can't be in awe of anything if you aren't humble and carrying that humility in the life that you're living. And it says that it didn't end there. It continues with the working of miracles, signs and wonders all around them and things that they would have associated perhaps because Jesus was present was suddenly taking place because the Spirit of God was present within them. The world was being transformed right before their very eyes. And even those signs and wonders, they were revealing the, the heavenly accreditation of Jesus in his ministry. But they're now confirming the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit in those who follow him. Ezekiel 39 says when God pours out his Spirit, we, what, what will happen? Well, we will be face to face says, then they will know that I am the Lord their God, for though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. I will pour out my spirit is what it says. It's interesting. Worship team, you can join me at the front. I always pictured the scene at Pentecost as... Everyone who is responding to faith, they're from Jerusalem and they have this like massive church kind of out of it. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one Sunday. It was a big deal. Pastor was pumped. Peter was feeling really good about himself. I always pictured it to kind of be that way. But when you think about the festival of Pentecost, the people who were present in that square listening to the words of P Peter who were responding to the baptism that was taking place and being indwelt by the Spirit, they were not just from Jerusalem. They were people who, were traveling, who had traveled there from all over. Them and their families from, from Iran and Mesopotamia. And they were hearing this message, responding to it before Paul ever goes and plants those churches. Paul's not going to go do that for, for another decade or more. There's something happening in that first decade and a half or so. 
And it was, it was the spreading of the Spirit in the most unexpected of ways. It was the transformation of the world in the way that nobody else could have predicted. That in the gathering of the people in that place and the response to say that Jesus is Lord, it did not remain there, but it spread from that place. The transformation of a people by the power of the Spirit leads to the transformation of the world. This is the renewal of Israel. This is the regathering of Israel from, from all over to form the nucleus of this new covenant that we now partake in. Bill Johnson, he says that the Holy Spirit is in me for my sake, but upon me for yours. There's something that takes place within us that is meant for something more. The Holy Spirit, it compels action. Holy Spirit, he, he leads, he empowers us for change. The Holy Spirit transforms the world. The Holy Spirit restores relationship. And I wonder in this text if we can see all the things that the Holy Spirit produces. The Holy Spirit produces conviction, forgiveness, devotion, wonders and signs, gratitude, generosity, worship, favor, growth and expansion, and action. The, the Holy Spirit coming upon this group of people produced all of these things. And we see that come to life at the beginning of Acts chapter 3 when Peter and his, the, the other disciple were in the space and they're able to be empowered by the Spirit to do something they'd never done before. What does the outpouring of the Spirit do within us? It empowers us to live lives that look like Jesus. Jesus was convicted, brought forgiveness, led with devotion, had wonders and signs, expressed constant gratitude, was generous, generous in all he did, lived a life of worship, carried unexpected favor, was a man of action and exploded across the space. All the things that the Spirit produces within us empower us to live a life that is Christ-like in a way that we could have never imagined. Jesus lived a perfect life, but perfection is not our goal. Rather, we can now see the fruit of his life as a possibility through the indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit produces the very essence of Christ within us. Now for some of you this morning, this is, this is impossible. You don't know how your life could look anything like Jesus's. For some of you, following Jesus by simply making a couple changes, having him on your sidecar, or including a couple Jesus-isms in your, in your Instagram profile feels like the best way for you right now. For some of you, your relationship with God has become a religious routine lacking passion, lacking desire, lacking hunger, lacking growth. The Spirit unlocks the potential and purpose of our lives in a way that nothing else can. And perhaps you're like 
those people in the crowd asking the question of Peter. What do I do from here? I feel convicted in my heart. What do I do from here? May we hear the response of Peter that day. Repent. Turn from the way that you're going and turn towards Jesus. Place your trust in him. Receive the forgiveness of sins and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is offered to us. If you feel stagnant and stuck, the Spirit is for you. If you feel convicted and excited, the Spirit is for you. If you feel unsure and doubtful, the Spirit is for you. There is no qualification for the falling of the Spirit upon our lives. Would you stand with me as we close our time together this morning in a song? I want to invite, I'm going to ask actually, uh, if we can have a few different people come to the front and just be available for prayer. I'm going to ask mom and dad if you can come. Phil, if you can come to the front actually and be available for prayer, that, that would be awesome. Uh, Jordan, uh, Anthony, Sophia, if you guys can come and be available at the front for prayer. I, I want to make this invitation to you this morning. And either you can come out of your seat and come to the front, or if you just want someone to pray for you, I want you to raise your hand uh, and someone on our team will come and pray. I want you to pray uh, a simple, I want you to be asking yourself a simple question. Have I actually discovered the life that Christ desires for me? Are you living into that, that hopeful tomorrow that comes through the power of the Spirit? And have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? This doesn't have to be weird or sensational. But to simply receive the gift of the Holy Spirit does all that we talked about and more. And it meets you exactly where you're at. So as we sing... I want you to ask that question. Do I want to receive the Holy Spirit? Do I need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in my life? Or is this the first time I've even asked the question? And if you want someone to pray for you, I would invite you to come to the front. If you're not comfortable with that, just, just toss your hand up. Our team will be looking and they'll come and pray to you. So Father, we offer this space to you. We, we, we ask that you would give us boldness and courage to ask, the, ask of that which you are so generously ready to give. Holy Spirit, fall upon us that we would be the place where heaven and earth meet. That Holy Spirit, we would not leave this place the same. Transform our hearts. Cut our hearts through the stubbornness and through the staleness, perhaps, that has fallen in. Renew afresh within us. Awaken our hearts and our soul, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.